So I am going to be speaking on Nahum, and I am by no means an expert on Nahum. I did read it several times because it's only three chapters and it's very short. And it's actually even shorter than a regular three chapter anything because it's a poem or a hymn. Um, has any, did anybody read Nahum? What are some of your first um, thoughts about Nahum when you first read it? If from from those of you who have already read it, you're not you didn't have homework, so if you didn't read it, it's okay. <laughs> Does anyone want to share if you did? I wondered since it was written about Nineveh, when it was written, was it written before Jonah? You know, I, I wondered the. Time frame that. Yeah. So they repented when Jonah was sent to them, but um, this clearly they were just <laughs> Yes. I, that's a very good thought. And I had the same thought. I was kind of confused about the context historically of when, when this prophecy was supposed to be and who it was supposed to be for. Any other immediate thoughts or wonderings, curiosities? When I first read it, it felt disjointed to me. It was like a lot of this and then that and then this. And it didn't, I read it several times but I never could get like a real comfortable I don't know, it felt a little bit forced for some reason. And um, this is Nahum, by the way. Clearly this is exactly what he looked like. <laughs> um, this is an icon of uh, Eastern Orthodox icon, so he is a saint in the Eastern Orthodox Church. What's, what I find interesting about when I we took the class a couple years ago with Brad Chrysler, who was talking about the art and religion and the very fact that Jews had no art. And so any art that we see out of the Old Testament is all from a Christian perspective. Yeah. Like it's it's not from a Jewish perspective because they don't have art. And so it's whenever I see that I think, oh, this is not necessarily what Jews would have thought about or anything like that. It's what from a Christian perspective looking back on the Old Testament. Yes. So I love that point. It's a very good point. Well and Reading through some commentaries, this is a hymn, like I said, or an acrostic poem, and so I don't know that it's also corrupted in some way. So there's a little bit of debate about, you know, it starts out with the with the first letter of the alphabet, and then it goes to the second and the third and so on, but then it stops. So it's not a complete acrostic poem, and so. We don't know if it's been a rearranged or if something was corrupted through all the different edits throughout the years. And so that might be one reason that I felt like it <laughs> felt clunky sometimes So when I was reading it. So he describes God's nature to begin with in the first chapter. God of justice, sovereign and mighty, but long-suffering, so he's patient. He doesn't act quickly. Um, he is a generous and a good God. 
but he will avenge and destroy people who and societies who plot against him. And so this provides, this is sort of the first part of the book, and it provides the foundation for the rest of it. So it's sort of not wanting to jump right into, you know, all of the horribleness that Nahum ends up talking about, destroying and death and destruction, but laying this foundation first to remind the reader of who God is. And so it is Nineveh, the plotter against an afflictor of God's people, will experience the judgment. And then Judah, who was previously punished, will know relief from affliction and be restored to peace and joy. I thought that the Bible Project had a great summary of this book because it is so strange and complex, and there's so much underlying what the book is and all of the different things that it's speaking to that you cannot possibly get just by reading it because there's so many different cross-references and things that the Jewish people would have known right away but that we don't have context for. So if you'll bear with me, I'm going to try to play this, but I haven't tested the sound. The Book of the Prophet Nahum. This short prophetic book is a collection of poems announcing the downfall of one of Israel's worst oppressors, the ancient empire of Assyria, and its capital city, Nineveh. The Assyrians arose as one of the world's first great empires, and their expansion into Israel resulted in the total destruction and exile of the northern kingdom and its tribes. The Assyrian armies were violent and destructive on a scale that the world had never seen before, and so Israel and its neighbors were awaiting the downfall of Assyria, which eventually came in the year 612 BC. The Babylonians rose up and began a rebellion that overtook Nineveh and brought down the Assyrian Empire. And so, chapter 2 depicts the fall of Nineveh in vivid poetry, and chapter 3 then explores the downfall of the empire as a whole. But this book isn't just an angry tirade against Israel's enemies. The introductory chapter shows us that there is way, way more going on here. The book opens with an incomplete alphabet poem that begins by describing a powerful appearance of God's glory. It's very similar to how the previous book, Micah, began and how the next book, Habakkuk, is going to conclude. And it's God, the all-powerful creator, coming to confront the nations and bring his justice on their evil. And the poem opens by quoting from the famous line of God's self-description after the golden calf incident in the book of Exodus chapter 34. The Lord is slow to anger. He's great in power. He won't leave evil unpunished. And so the rest of the poem goes back and forth, contrasting the fate of the arrogant, violent nations with the fate of God's faithful remnant. When God brings down all the arrogant empires, he will provide refuge for those who humble themselves before him. Now, here's what's really interesting, is that you thought this book was only about Assyria, but Nahum actually nowhere mentions Nineveh or Assyria in chapter 1. And when he describes the downfall of the bad guys, he uses Isaiah's language about the fall of Babylon, which happened much later in history. And not only that, Nahum also describes the downfall of the bad guys as good news for the remnant of God's people. It's a direct allusion to Isaiah's good news about the downfall of Babylon. And so all these little details from chapter 1, they come together to make a key point. For Nahum, 
The fall of Nineveh is being presented as an example, as an image of how God is at work in history in every age. How he won't allow the arrogant or violent empires of our world to endure forever. So the message of Nahum is actually very similar to that of Daniel. Assyria stands in a long line of violent empires throughout history. And Nineveh's fate is a memorial to God's commitment to bring down the violent and the arrogant in every age. With this perspective from the opening chapter, the book then returns to its focus on Assyria. And so chapter 2 describes the Battle of Nineveh and the overthrow of the city in progressive stages. So first we see the front line of Babylonian soldiers, and then we read about the charge of the chariots, and then the chaos on the city walls as the city is breached, then the slaughter of Nineveh's people, then the plundering of the city. Chapter 3 goes on to describe the results of the city's downfall for the empire as a whole. So Nahum begins by announcing a woe upon the city whose kings built it with the blood of the innocent. It's an image of how injustice was built into the very system that made Assyria so successful. But their violence has sown the seeds of their own destruction, and so Assyria will fall before Babylon. The book concludes with a taunt against the fallen king of Assyria. He's stricken with a fatal wound, and from among all the nations that he once oppressed, no one comes to help him. Rather, they sing and celebrate his destruction. And that's how the book ends. Now, this is a gloomy book, but it's important to see how Nahum's message addresses the tragic and perpetual cycles of human violence and oppression in every age. Human history is filled with tribes and nations elevating themselves and using violence to take what they want, resulting in the death of the innocent. And the book of Nahum uses Assyria and Babylon as examples to tell us that God is grieved and that he cares about the death of the innocent and that his goodness and his justice compel him to orchestrate the downfall of oppressive nations. And God's judgment on evil is good news, unless of course, you happen to be Assyria. Which brings us all the way back to the conclusion of that opening poem, chapter 1, which tells us that the Lord is good and a refuge in the day of distress. He cares for those who take refuge in Him. And so the little book of Nahum invites every reader to humble themselves before God's justice and to trust that in His time, He will bring down the oppressors of every time and place. And that's what the book of Nahum is all about. All right. So, um, I wanted to focus on a couple of different passages. Uh, first, did anybody have any clarifying questions? I'm not promising that I can answer them, but after that video, were any of your questions that you might have previously had answered, or did it just bring new questions? Okay. I liked, I read Nahum in a couple, three or four different um, translations because again, it's a very short book. That's not me trying to say, look at me, I read all these different, <laughs> anyway, it's very short and I was having trouble understanding it. And I liked the message version of 3, 15 through 19. Can anybody read that well enough to read it for us? Go for it. Yes, as if by locusts, a fitting fate. 
for you yourselves are a locust plague. You've multiplied shops and shopkeepers, more buyers and sellers than stars in the sky. A plague of locusts cleaning out the neighborhood and then flying off. You, your bureaucrats are locusts. Your brokers and bankers are locusts. Early on, they are all at your service, full of smiles and promises. But later, when you return with questions or complaints, you'll find they've flown off and are nowhere to be found. King of Assyria, your shepherd leaders in charge of caring for your people are busy doing everything else but. They're not doing their job, and you, your people, and your people are scattered and lost. There's no one to look after them. You're past the point of no return. Our wound is fatal. When the story of your fate gets out, the whole world will applaud and cry encore. Your cruel evil has seeped into every nook and cranny of the world. Everyone has felt it and suffered. If you read those same um, passage in the NRSV, Let me open that real quick. <clears throat> so in the NRSV verse 19, there is no assuaging your hurt, your wound is mortal. All who hear the news about you clap their hands over you, for who has ever escaped your endless cruelty? So when I first read that in the message, it hit me a little bit differently than it did in the NRSV. Can anybody speak to the way it hit them? If it hit differently, or if it, or just in general, how that verse hit you, what do you make of this? It's very vindictive. Vindictive. It, it comes off as a very, uh, <clears throat> I'm thinking about as an individual who's giving that information, it comes off as a very negative future. Mm. I think today especially, and I'm sure then, that would be very, very hard to cope Because it's, no matter what you do, this is what's going to happen. And uh, so it stops and, and it makes you stop and think about it. There's probably a lot of things in our lives that are going to happen. Uh, we don't really want to talk about it. And, and a lot of times that... <clears throat> It's not the movie before older people. <laughs> uh, and then I think you have to deal with that. Mm. It makes me think that way. Mm. Well, one thing that I'd like to do, I want us to break out into discussion groups. And I want to continue this conversation about what we make of Nahum 3, 15 to 19. And I encourage you to read it in multiple translations if that's helpful to you. Um, if you want to open your Bible or pull up your Bible app. Um, and then consider these other questions. What are the prophetic words we can apply to our own context? And I realize that this was a specific prophet in a specific time, in a specific place, 
to a specific people. I also feel like the prophets are relevant because Jesus thought the prophets were relevant. And Jesus quoted prophets when he introduced himself into his own ministry. And, and again quoted prophets when he would justify things he was doing. And so prophets are relevant to us today, even if this particular prophet was not talking to us. And so what are the prophetic words we can apply to our own context? And then also, how can we reconcile God's character as it's described in the first chapter, specifically in Nahum 1.7, and then in Nahum 2.13? And I will read those. For you. The Lord is good, a stronghold in a day of trouble. He protects those who take refuge in him, even in a rushing flood. So that's Nahum 1 7. And Nahum 2 13. See, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will burn your chariots in smoke, and the sword shall devour your young lions. I will cut off your prey from the earth, and the voice of your messengers shall be heard no more. How do we reconcile those two things that describe God? And then finally, is it possible there's a Nahum in 2021? Who would it be? What is their message for us? So modern day prophets, are there any? Um, so these four questions I'm going to send you to in breakouts and I want you to designate someone to dis to report back to our larger group. But I'm going to give us about 10 minutes. Ten whole minutes <laughs> for all these questions. So I'm going to go ahead and stop talking. So go for it. Four to five people. So if you just want to turn around, feel free to move the chairs if that's helpful. They're very light. <laughs> Mess up our room. That's fine. Yeah, that's what I'm That's everything I need. <laughs> so if... I could get a volunteer to start sharing first. And you don't have to share all of the questions that, you know, there was a lot on purpose so that maybe you'd have a lot to talk about. But if you had something specific that you wanted to share, if anybody wants to start. I'm trying to think of summarizing everything. Yeah. I, I can start us out. Okay. Our, our group back here in the corner. Um, so a, a lot of what we kind of talked about was how there's lots of like kind of positive thinking in the church, lots of like happy, you know, not necessarily like health and wealth, but still that similar in like, you know. And when you read this, this is very much not that. You know, it's about suffering and it's about chaos and um, yet it's kind of like, it's a good thing, the way that Nahum, you know, the people are clapping and celebrating this. And so, you know, when we looked at your third question, 
these different character, these different depictions of God's character. Like, well, who, who is God talking to? Right? Is God telling the Assyrians, "Hey, I'm your refuge," or, tell, or telling the you know, Israelites oppressed by the Assyrians, "I'm against you. I'm going to destroy your chariots." Well, they probably didn't have any chariots, seeing as how they were you know, oppressed by the Assyrians, and so you know. God's character can be angry and wrathful towards some things in this world, such as the Assyrian Empire, whatever kind of um, analogies and metaphors you want to expand that into 2021, uh, while also God's heart breaking and being in like solidarity and suffering with um, those like the Israelites or other people who are kind of other nations or individuals who are oppressed by these forces. Thank you for sharing. Well, and kind of as a part of that, um, we talked about that question too, and like this like this tension that is like always kind of held in the prophetic book is not like alone to the book of Nahum. Like you can go f like read in Jeremiah, like God talking to the people of Judah, um, telling them like all the evil things that they have done. And often like, like, like you were saying, like we have to like, like God has to shake, shake us up, to like wake us up to the evil that we've done. Like sometimes when we're so involved in like a, a systemic evil that we don't even realize like the oppression that we're involved in, I don't know, or um, or what we're doing, and so like I guess yeah, so like this charge against Assyria is not alone to, to people outside of the church. Like you can also find it being given to the church as well, and like this tension of God. Like we kind of talked about how like a loving God. And we used, like, an analogy of, like, a playground. So, like, if a child is being bullied on a playground, like, is it the loving thing to do to, like, let the child continue to be bullied? Or do you, like, come and intervene in some way? Um, and we also talked about how just, like, the perspective of each child, like, you, you view the act of, like, of God coming in just differently. So a lot of scattered different thoughts. But Thank you for sharing. Any other groups want to share? You talked about how comforting this message must have been for the Israelites, mm -hmm. for the oppressed side of the story. Um, all of the language about anger and wrath wasn't directed at them, so it could have been good news. And we also talked about like the complexity versus simplicity their world might have been a little simpler because it was much smaller, whereas we are aware of much more today with all of our access to information and situations are very complex. So we're trying to let the privacy just want to Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Well, um, Jacob, did you have other announcements as we wrap up? I think we're good. Okay. All right.
Um, well, are there any other final thoughts? Anybody else have anything else that you want to share? I really appreciate your discussion so much. George is teaching next weekend. Yes. So y'all will get a, uh, a professional. <laughs> Jonah from George. So thank so you. Did he already do a whole class from Jonah? <laughs> you could, yeah, you could do that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate you coming and listening and participating, and I hope thank you all you. have a great week.